0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. We're preparing for our rule of life, <clears throat> which we'll be taking together as a community in two weeks on the 22nd. Today we talk about shalom which in many ways is all about Jesus breaking every chain. But I wanted to, if you'd allow me to sort of uh, meander a little bit, I just wanted to sketch out a theme that seems important for us. When we go back to Genesis, we read these words in the first chapter. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. In chapter two, Genesis gives us another picture of this creation moment of humankind. Then the Lord God for man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Genesis tells us that God breathed the breath of God's own very life into Adam and Eve. That God animated with his own energy these Dirt balls. (laughs) Crafting humanity as God's image bearers. And if we've grown up in the church and we've heard the stories, I think we can rush past this way too quickly. Do we recognize that the very fact that we're breathing here this morning means that we have the very breath, the life-giving breath of God in our bones? Mean God placed these God-bearing humans into the world, this world of beauty and possibility, telling them to be like God, to continue to do what God does, to fashion beauty and goodness here, to nurture all the creatures of the garden, to tend to the garden. And then to spread that garden across the world. You might remember that Genesis describes the garden as being in the east. <laughs> it wasn't the whole world, it was just a little section of it. That's why they were to fill and multiply and subdue. God brings life here. And He does this in part, in large measure, through us, through you and me. To be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it, to subdue as God subdued, in other words. Now this this little section has been really uh, used in some really poor ways. We're not to subdue it as uh, overzealous corporations do it. We're to subdue it as God subdues, which means to bring it order, to allow the full potential of something to emerge to cultivate wonder out of wildness. Now in our sinfulness, we turn this artful and generous subduing into a selfish, manipulative, violent destruction. But in cooperation with God, we are beauty makers and shalom makers. If you've ever had a chance to go visit Tom Stevens in his uh, woodworking shop, you really need to do that. It's amazing how he can take just lumps of wood, and I can't even describe what he does. I don't know the vocabulary, the language, but it's amazing. He made me a, a little bowl one time, and I would just sit there. I sit there, sits on my desk, and I, I'm just amazed at the, the turn of it and the, the color of it. We find in Revelation 22 a picture of where this story leads, where we're all heading, what God's intentions were. Remember last week we read at the end how John described this new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and God promised it was going to happen. Well, in Revelation 22, he gives another image. And again, I mean, Revelation can be a little wacky. I get it. It's crazy. But it's, it's trying to find language for a vision so potent and powerful that we, we really can't grasp it. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river river is what? The tree of life, that centerpiece in the garden of Eden with its 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore but the throne of god and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night they need no light of lamp or sun for the lord god will be their light and they will reign forever and ever and he said to me these these words are trustworthy and true so in revelation 22 we find that this garden has spread. It's become a a garden city. God's vision has come to fruition. Only now we have this prosperous, thriving, beautiful garden city, a place of wholeness where creation and humanity flourish in harmony. And here we're immersed in joy and meaningful work and beautiful landscapes and lush, Food and no sorrow, and the lion lays down with the lamb. And here everyone has everything that they need and there is no call for justice because everything has already been set right. And every color and every tribe exists as the one mosaic declaring the goodness of God who has made all things new. This is the world defined by shalom, by well-being. The world as God intends it, and doesn't something in your soul ache for that? So looking toward this good end, what does God instruct Adam to do? What is Adam's first job? What do you imagine would be the priority for the one who is to get us moving toward this good future? Well, Genesis says the Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. Adam was to work the garden to make his little piece of the world beautiful, fruitful, pleasurable. Adam and then Eve were to be present in their world carrying in their very body the life of this shalom-making God and then simply do whatever God gave them to do. Whatever was before them, whatever was in them to be in the world and then to do in the world. It is your life, your body and energies, your hopes, your words, your curiosity, your pleasures, your skills, your joys, whatever it is that reflects the breath of God in you and uniquely in you, that tells you your responsibility in the world. You know what Adam and Eve were doing? They were making a life in that garden. And they were making a beautiful life in humble obedience to God. And this was their offering to the world. Now Isaiah 60, we're not gonna have time to read it this morning. I, I would encourage you today to, to, to read this passage in Isaiah 60, because the prophet gives us another picture of this new city. It's like Revelation, it's a, it's a garden city. And Isaiah tells us all the things that are gonna be included in the new city. Listen to the the things that are included. All the kingdoms of the earth, all our politics and our governments and our ways of trying to order human societies in justice, all of our wealth, all that we own, all that we've done to provide for ourselves and others, all the camels and the flocks and the rams, all the creatures who live in this world and the creatures that have been entrusted to us to care for in this world gold and frankincense, all of our human resources, the resources of the earth, the ones we're trying to learn how to use wisely and the ones we're trying to figure out how to protect from human greed and short-sightedness. Isaiah describes our ships, the magnificent wonders that we build because we are creative makers. Silver and gold and cypress and pine, cypress and pine, All that craftsmen and artists use to make beautiful and useful objects. And every ethnicity is there. It's not wiped away. Our culture, our history, our stories, our families, our sense of self. It is all brought to God and turned to God. And it's the stuff of this world. It's what we're experiencing right now. This is our work. This is our shalom making. This is our prayer. Wendell Berry said, if we think of ourselves as living, as living souls, immortal creatures living in the midst of a creation that is mostly mysterious. And if we see that everything we make or do cannot help, but have an everlasting significance for ourselves, for others and for the world, then we can see why some religious teachers have understood work as a form of prayer. And in the end, God finally completes it. God corrects all the messes that we've made. Whatever we've been unable to make whole. God cleans our own work of every remnant of selfishness or greed or imperfection. God gathers our work, whatever we've had to offer in this world, and uses it in God's final act to make the world what God intends. As Isaiah says at the end of chapter 60. I am the Lord, in its time I will accomplish it quickly, but in its time. That's why every Easter we hear these words echoing from St. Paul where he told us, for we do our, uh, (laughs) I just lost it. Somebody help me. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Resurrection doesn't mean, oh, well, that's good. Nothing that we really matters really matters because God's going to finish it off in some good end. It means everything that we do has meaning because our labor matters in the Lord because Jesus rose from the dead. I remember when we were in Clemson. I've had lots of bad pastoral moments. This was in the top 10. <laughs> I was really frustrated. Our church was about 80% college students. That was a strange thing. (laughs) But I was really frustrated because we were trying really hard to do some church projects, service projects, because that's what churches do. You get people together and you do service projects. And nobody came. We even came up with this idea that we thought was going to be so grand. Now we were going to do a gas buy-down. Have you ever heard about this? Where it's like a random act of kindness. You show up at a gas station and you get there for an hour, and people drive in, and it's one of the first times that gas prices had spiked. And we were just going to not gonna say our church's name. We weren't gonna do anything like that. We were just gonna buy everybody's gas down to like a, a dollar a gallon. Now that sounds like an awful idea, but at the time it sounded brilliant. Um, I think I read read it in some church magazine that some church did this. <laughs> So, we had sign ups. We were going to try to get everybody there. It's going to be amazing. Nobody. I mean, I think we twisted an elder's arm into showing up. I was so frustrated. I remember going home to Miskin, and I was just complaining about the people in the church. I mean, I don't know if you guys know, we do this sometimes. Sorry. (laughs) I was like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they love God? Don't they want to serve? I mean, what is wrong? And Miska, Miska, in her oh-so-gentle way, said, that's ridiculous, Win." She said, would you just start thinking about just the people who meet in our house every week, like what they're doing with their life? We had a guy who was um, serving at-risk kids in his job, in his school. Um, we had a woman who was doing pregnancy counseling. We had people who were volunteering uh, multiple places. We had people who were just trying to keep their head above water, but had really generous hearts and time for people as much as they could, and it dawned on me, I think, I'm not sure about this, but I think the whole point of doing projects together is so that we can try to create an atmosphere where people actually live this out in their life. People are actually living this out in their life, and I'm getting angry because they're not coming and doing the project. So the main thing I want to tell you this morning is we have some, we're going to do a gas buy down uh, next week. (laughs) If you don't show up, I'm going to be bitching about you. (laughs) The main thing I want to tell you this morning is that God resides in you. You are a radiant image bearer of the living God. Wherever you go, you actually can't help but emanate God's goodness. I want you to own that. I want you to not cover it up or silence it or think that what you offer isn't enough or should be something else. I want you to release the selfishness or the self-ridicule or the grasping or the arrogance or the sinfulness or the anger or the fear that might muddle up the brilliance that God brings into the world through you. I think this morning of how many moms and dads have put your careers or your advancement on hold to care for kids. How many of you exert your energy and your soul making beautiful music or poetry or paintings or prose? I think of small business owners in our church who are doing good work, honest and fair, and helping to create a system in our world where people can actually get work done at a fair price, providing meaningful jobs for others. I think of teachers here who are nurturing young lives, professors who are helping college students becoming whole persons and see the world in ways that are truthful. Think of how many homes there are. (laughs) that are places of peace in your neighborhood. And you might think, I'm not doing anything. You're there, (laughs) you exist. I wonder how I think about how many of you help us to think about how to care for our world, for our natural resources, for bringing food out of the ground in ways that are sustainable. How to bring justice into the legal system, how to advocate for refugees or for those who are pushed to the fringes those who care for foster kids or pray for foster kids, those who sit across the table or the office from people who are troubled and you, you take on their stories. How many of you love your neighbors or your neighborhood merely the presence of love in that place? How many of you are watching out for an elderly neighbor, an elderly friend, an elderly family member, and it seems so remote, you are so behind the scenes and you're not doing enough, you think, but you are loving someone who is forgotten. How many of you are in positions of institutional power, corporate power, academic power, political power, UVA power? And into those boardrooms and think tanks and influential places, you carry the powerful presence of the living God. These are your shalom gardens. The place where you enlivened by God's spirit make the world more beautiful and more whole. And though it seems, I'm sure so many days like you're just pushing pencils or talking at a wall, or doing something that doesn't seem like it's connected to the big picture of God, your work is enlivened by the Spirit of God, and God will make all things new. And all things new is not just some remote heaven. It is this world, and these structures of power, and these trees, and this neighborhood. It is your places of belonging that are going to be made new. And God has called you to participate in that now. So when you came in today <clears throat> there was maps and you were supposed to stick a sticker where you live a sticker where you work a sticker if there's some place that you love or serve i think we should pay just as much attention to places that we love <laughs> i stuck mine somewhere around sugar hollow <laughs> i love that place it speaks of god to me when you leave today I want you to, if you haven't done your stickers yet, I want you to do those when you leave today. I also want to uh, have you write something down here. If if anyone doesn't have a pen, could you raise your hand? We have some pins that we're going to pass out. <clears throat> if you need a pen, just stick your hand up and we'll get one to you. There's two things else that I'd like for you to do. If there is... Uh, some place where you uh, really long to see God's shalom, God's well-being, God's wholeness. We want to create a, um, a document of prayer. <laughs> I'd like you to write that down. Um, there's inside your inserts on your liturgy guide. There should be a, some blank space on the back. Just do a number one and circle. You don't have to do this. And if it's not something you can write right now, then that's fine. You can get it to us later or not participate. Um, We're going to pray anyway. But um, if there's some, some place, some issue, some question where you really want others to join with you in prayer about, then write that down for us. And then the second one, we're going to just take a minute or two, um, you have time to do this. The second one is, we get questions a lot about what All Souls is doing in in relation to Shalom. Um, It's an important question. Sometimes, not always, sometimes though, I think it's just kind of the way we're trained in church, is to think that that means a program that we the pastors are somehow leading Uh, We do some of that, but what we're far more interested in is um, being a place that pulls people together, that reminds us about how we need Jesus in what we do in the world, and then we go do it, and we do it with one another. So as a pastor, what I would really rather tell people when I get that question is more of, well, here's, here's what we're doing. This is what the people in our church are doing. So... If there is some place that you love, some work that you do, some place that you volunteer, some um, action concretely, that if anyone was ever curious to know more about or wanted to join you in that, you would at least be open to that, I'd love for you to write that down as a number two option. Um, Because we want to create just a list of, many of the things that our church is engaged in, not because we have dreamed up a program like a gas buy-down, because that's as good as we get when I'm in charge, (laughs) Um, but rather where is this community enlivened by the Spirit of God actively offering um, Jesus' presence? I want to say the reason, though, that I left that to the very end partly was because um, for many of us, it's not that kind of thing. (laughs) It's not an organization or something that we necessarily know how to invite a volunteer into. It's our everyday life. It's the garden in front of us. And I want you to know that that is the very place, that is the very place where God's enlivening spirit energizes your life, and your work for the kingdom of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.